Amen. Amen. John 10. Megan, thank you for reading. Where'd Megan go? Thank you for reading that this morning. Very, very appropriate word this morning. It makes, makes me ask the question, whose voice are we listening to? Whose voice do we recognize? Whose voice is calling us? Whose, whose voice is demanding our attention? Jesus said that his sheep know his voice. And I pray that that is true for you this morning. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit. And you said that your Holy Spirit would reveal your words to us, would reveal your life to us, would give us strength and grace and power to walk in you. And so we pray for every person in this room here this morning that that would be the voice that we hear today. We pray today, Lord Jesus, against the schemes of the evil one. We pray today, Lord, against the, the voices of those who would draw us away from your tender shepherd voice. And we pray that today that you would, you would, you would put a, a Holy Spirit bubble around this place and that you would make this a place, a holy, sacred place, for you to do your work in our hearts. And as you do so, may our worship resound from this place to the fullness and the praise and the glory of who you are. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, we're working on the blessed principle these weeks, and uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to just review the blessed principle with you. I think it's in your bulletin. It's in your notes, and um, I would just like to walk through it with you. B is begin with prayer. L is listen with care. Eat together for E. Caleb talked about that last week. Today we're talking about serving with love, and then we'll spend two Sundays on sharing your story and God's story. So that's how we're walking through the blessed principle all with the, with the hope and the prayer and the intention that we will integrate these, these thoughts, these attitudes into our, into our faith walk for the purpose of sharing Christ with those around us. So that's the blessed principle. Today we're talking about serving with love. I have, I have um, some slides to show you this morning, just a couple of quotes as we talk about that. First quote is, no man has a right to lead such a life of contemplation as to forget his own ease, the service due to his neighbor. You get that? We can't spend so much time in contemplation that we forget to meet the needs of our neighbor. And Augustine actually turned that around. If the quote goes farther, he turned it around and he said, but we can't be so busy serving our neighbor that we forget to contemplate Jesus. So it works both ways. Next one, a Christian man, this is by Martin Luther, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and is subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and is subject to everyone, serving others. And then the last quote is this, true religion is a habitual recollection of God and intention to serve him. <clears throat> 
And this turns everything into gold. Here's a little explanation that goes with that. When some people speak of religion, they mean that they have heard so many sermons and performed so many devotions and thus mistake the means for the end. But true religion is a habitual recollection of God and intention to serve him, and this turns everything into gold. We are apt to suppose that we need something splendid to evince our devotion, but true devotion equals things. Listen to this. It means washing plates and cleaning shoes is a high office if performed in the right spirit. And he says something just fascinating to me. He says, if three angels were sent to the earth, they would feel perfect indifference. Who should perform the part of prime minister, parish minister, or watchman? Angels don't care who does what, as long as it's all for the glory of God. I think those are excellent ways to start our time on the topic of serving. When Wycliffe translator Doug Melland and his wife moved into a village in Brazil with the Folonio Indians, Indians, he was referred to as simply the white man. And the term was not complimentary, it was derogatory since most white men had exploited this tribe of Indians, had burned their homes and robbed them of their lands. But after the Melons learned the Folneo language, began to help the people with medicine, and in other ways, they began calling Doug the respectable white man. When the Melons began adapting the customs of the people, the Folneo gave them greater acceptance and spoke of Doug as the white Indian. Then one day, as Doug was washing the dirty, blood-caked foot of an injured Folneo boy, he overheard a bystander say to another, whoever heard of a white man washing an Indian's foot before? Certainly this man is from God. From that day on, whenever Doug would go into an Indian home, it would be announced, here comes the man that God sent to us. What a great title. All because... He was willing to serve in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, being willing and available to serve others is, is key to loving our neighbors and reflecting the life and the grace of Jesus Christ to those around us. Serving is also a universal value. I'm not talking about serving food. I'm not talking about an ace in a tennis match or serving up a badminton birdie. We're talking about putting ourselves in the service of others. Lots of organizations have a stated value of serving others. From schools to police departments to rotary clubs, all desire to serve a specific group of people with some sort of blessing or support. Love, Inc., for example, serves those in our community that need basic material support and encouragement. And our part of the Love, Inc. ministry, the, the community of churches in town, is to build bunk beds and to offer those. You heard Greta talk about that this morning. Christmas in May is a community event that serves those who need help with home improvements. Police serve by keeping our community safe. Hospitals serve by bringing care and healing to the community. And you get the idea we could make a long list. Serving is a widely held and universal value. So as followers of Christ, serving goes beyond a nice community value. Serving others is part of our worship. 
It's our calling. It's our, our command to serve and love others in the grace of the Lord. In short, an attitude of servanthood is characteristic of a life that's been transformed by Jesus Christ. When Christ is present and the Holy Spirit is at work, our serving others brings glory to God. So serving with love is a key component to the blessed principle, as we've seen this morning. An attitude of service and serving is woven into our relationships. It's woven in with a desire to reflect the love of Jesus Christ, and that's what we'd like to talk about this morning. So let me begin to, to dive into the subject by saying, first of all, that to, to serve one another is a command. It's our command. So there are occasions in conversations that I have with people when I just, when I just feel compelled to say, you don't need to pray about this. Okay, I usually get that reaction back. But I'm, I'm, I'm standing on this. After we get past the startled moment, sometimes Scripture is so clear. Sometimes a command is so clear. Sometimes a truth is so clear. Sometimes a direction is so clear in Scripture that I can look back at somebody and say, and I, I've had somebody say to me when we're talking about a certain subject, and I, they'll say, well, I'll pray about it. And I say, you don't have to pray about it. It's right here. God's already given you the answer. No, I, I didn't say we never have to pray, okay? So don't take that home with you. But there are times when something is so clear. So the idea of servanthood or having a servant's heart is one of those things that is so clear that we don't have to think about it. God says that the attitude of servanthood is part of who we are in Christ. It's clear that serving others is part of our identity as Christians. It's, it's a calling. It's, it's a command. And while we pray for opportunities to serve, we do. We pray for opportunities to unleash our servanthood. We don't need to pray about whether or not we're called to serve. That's clear. For example, Jesus stated it clearly in Matthew chapter 20, and I love this story. The mother of James and John comes to Jesus and asks each of her sons to be given places of honor and authority in his kingdom. Remember the story? I love the idea. James and John, they sent their mom in to ask Jesus this. Love the story. Mom, how about it? He's right over there. Just go ask him. Can we be on his left and his right in his kingdom? Can we have the power, the authority, the prestige that comes with those two seats? You go ask him. Matthew chapter 20. Let's, let's look at it. Matthew 20. Let's turn there. So he has a conversation with them, and he asks them, and, and I, I love this idea. He asks them, are you sure you know what you're asking? We'll, we'll kind of skip that part this morning. We get down to his final summary of the teaching. In verse 25, Jesus called them to him, and he said this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your what? Your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to, serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
You see, we'll, we'll find as we walk through this idea, walk through this study this morning, that the perfect example is Jesus Christ. He didn't come to be served. He said so. You read it right here. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the standard for servanthood. And we'll see it several times this morning as we walk through a lot of scriptures. He is the example. His servanthood is what, what, what leads us into our servanthood. And so he calls on us, if you want to follow after me, you need to take on the role of a servant, a slave. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus told the crowds to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And the crowd responded to his teaching. What do you, what do you mean, bear fruit in, repent, in, in keeping with repentance? What do you mean? What are we supposed to do? And his answer, he answered and said to them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Serve others. In Galatians 5, verse 13, Paul says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when the gospel liberates, when the gospel brings its freedom to us, in freedom in Christ, then serving others is one of the evidences that God is, under the, is, is undertaking transformation in our lives. The Apostle John says it again in 1 John chapter 3. Turn with me if you would. Let's read that together. Just, okay, just, you need, need to get your thumb ready because we're going to do a lot of moving around in Scripture this morning. 1 John chapter 3. I'll start at verse 16. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And then he says this, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We are to serve one another. Loving, love for one another is shown in the way that we serve others. When we understand that serving is part of our calling, that it's a command, it helps us to lay aside our own agendas for the sake of others. So as we've discussed in previous times of talking about the blessed principle, the L of the blessed principle stands for listening being engaged in the lives of others. We see it here again with serving. There's an intentionality in our attitudes, in our actions. When we take our minds off of ourselves and when we look to others, when we listen to what they're saying and what they're communicating to us, then it sets us on a, in, a, in a disposition, an inclination towards listening, towards wondering what is happening in their lives, listening for clues, seeking ways that we might come alongside others and be a blessing to others. Being a servant, having the heart of a servant, walking in servanthood is our command from God. So let's look at our motive. So intentionality is good. We need to be intentional about loving and serving others. It's, it's, a, it's a command from God that we love others, that we serve others. But 
I submit to you this morning that if we leave it at intentionality, we run the risk of simple obedience, of just following the rules, or simply doing it because we're told to do it. And I'll, I have to temper that a little bit because sometimes, sometimes our faith and our obedience calls us simply to walk in a direction even if we don't understand it. But, in, but what I'm trying to say here is that we don't want to be left with just a, a bunch of legalisms. Well, I have to do this, I have to do that, and my faith says, well, I need to do that, and I better love on that person. No, we're talking about a motive that runs deeper than that. If, if you listened to the impeachment trial this week, I'm sure you were all glued to the television for the 300 and some hours that they had that on. You might have heard that there's a legal difference between intention and motive. Motive speaks to the desires of the heart. The point was made this week that motive can't always be discerned. But listen to this, when it comes to others, when it comes to serving others, I would hope and I would pray that our motive is clear, that our motive is to love and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that we do. So what is our motive in serving others? We've already seen that it's a command and it's a calling as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, but let's go deeper and, and, and look at this motive. Psalm 100 verse 2 tells us to serve the Lord with gladness. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 23 to 33, we won't take the time to read the passage this morning, but talks about the importance of, of, of going into someone else's home and eating the food that's put before you. And the issue was that they were offering food to idols, or they bought the meat in the markets, and it was supposed to be used in the worship of idols. And the, the Corinthian Christians were wondering, well, what do I do? Do I not eat the food? Because it's supposed to be for an idol. It's supposed to be for pagan worship. Well, what do I do? Do I refuse the food? And Paul makes the, makes the point, don't put any obstacle in front, of those who are, who, in front of those who you are with, that they may see Christ. So don't worry about it. Don't put an obstacle in front of them. And he goes on, he goes on to finish his thoughts by saying, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, finish it for me. Do it all for the glory of God. You see, that's where the, that, now we're digging down into the area of motive. Do it all to the glory of God. First, first Peter 2 verse 16 instructs us to live as servants of God. You see, our motive for serving flows from our relationship with God. And as we've seen, Jesus is our example. We look to him. He left heaven in pursuit of serving his creation with his life. His desire was to serve God and to serve God's people. He sacrificially offered his life that we might know life, all for the glory of God. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And if we have a base camp this morning, we're kind of going all over the place, but if we have a base camp, this would be it. This is a key passage for tying all these things together. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, Peter says this, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Do you see the intentionality right here? Be be self-controlled and sober-minded. It's interesting that this letter of 1 Peter, and I'm, uh, 
a lot of ladies are, are studying this on Monday mornings, right? So I'm not, not shedding any new light on 1 Peter. You're already, you're already digging deep into it. But the context of it is, is persecution. The context of it is, it, it could be that Nero is about to pour out persecution on the believers, but more likely it's probably that they're living in a pagan culture. And it's, it's downright difficult to live as a Christian in a culture that seems to stand against them wherever they go. And so they're living in the midst of, of this suffering, this, this persecution, in the midst of a pagan culture. And I, I, I think that we can probably relate to some degree because our culture is moving in the very same direction. And it's against that backdrop that Peter encourages boldness and hospitality and serving. And so he starts this, this, this key passage on serving. He, he starts it all by pointing to us that we need to keep our thoughts focused on Christ. What does he say? The end of all things is at hand. Judgment is coming. The Lord is returning. God is coming back. Judgment is in his hand. The day of the Lord is coming soon. So therefore, keep your minds focused on Christ. His thoughts are fixed on the kingdom of God and the coming judgment. It's as if he's snapping his fingers like this. Hey, 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 look over here. Look over here. It's, we're constantly distracted by the shiny object, and he's saying, look over here. I want you to pay attention to this. You see, our motivation, our focus is on God, and it's in heaven. Our, our view of the world is not to be focused on the paganism, not to be focused on the, the wickedness, on the anti-Christian bent that's all around us, but on the eternal realities of God, of, of his kingdom, and of his calling, and what it means to walk in him. That's where our attention needs to be. And Peter said it this way, the end of all things is near, so be sober-minded. Keep your attention focused on Jesus Christ. And how does Peter bridge the reality between this present reality and the eternal realities of the Lord Jesus Christ? How does he do that? He says prayer. He says prayer. Be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You see, when we're sober-minded and we're, we're focused on God's kingdom, we're focused on who God is, what Jesus Christ has done for us, we're focused on a world that desperately needs him, then we will target our prayers. Our, our prayers will be dialed in to what God has for us, who God is for us, and what he wants for us to do and to move, the direction he wants us to take. But... Before we get into the details of this passage, and we'll look at it a little bit later, we'll, we'll dig into the meat of this, but I want you to notice the bookends. He, he starts with a focused perspective on the coming age, the end of the age, the coming of the Lord. His thoughts are fixed on the kingdom and the coming judgment. But I want you to look at the other bookend, verse 11. The last half, in order that everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see the bookends there? He's, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. We're going to look at the, the, the instructions that he gives us, but the bookend is start with Christ and end with Christ. Start with the glory of God, end with the glory of God. Start with praise of the Lord Jesus Christ, end with praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we do needs to be done for the glory of God. You see, when married together, our intention and our motivation causes us to reach out beyond ourselves. Left to ourselves, we quickly turn inward. 
I don't know if you've experienced that or not. I have. And when we turn inward, when we, we refuse to, to heed the idea, the attitude of servanthood, when we refuse to look at, at others the way Christ looks at others, when we turn inward on ourselves, it causes all kinds of issues. For example, as they say, we can start to believe our own press reports. We can start to think too highly of ourselves if our world is focused on just me. Our habits... Our habits, our hurts, and our hang-ups seem to become less significant when, the world, when our world is focused on ourselves. My problems aren't nearly as difficult as yours. My sin problem is not near. You, now let's talk about sin. You have a greater sin than I ever will. I want you to know that. You see, when we start to think of ourselves, when we start to dial in on ourselves, it, it shrinks down the significance of the issues that are going on in our own lives because you've got bigger problems than I do. See that? We see what happens? Another thing that happens when we focus on ourselves is that we begin to worry. The world closes in on us. You see, when we have no eternal perspective, but we think of our own needs, problems become huge, and worry consumes us. As Peter describes in 1 Peter 4, in a world full of ourselves, we follow our own passions, lusts, and desires. He, that's, the, that's leading into this passage. He says that's what happens when we turn to ourselves. But serving with intentionality gets us beyond ourselves. Serving as servants of God gives us an eternal perspective on life. With God's view, I look at others with compassion and empathy, empathy and I realize I'm no better than others. I'm no better than anyone else, but, but and I, I have to say often to myself, there but by the grace of God go I. There but... And I, I've been, as, uh, as, as we've been talking about these things recently, I, I just, I can't help but think for any one of us, myself included, looking back over the course of our life, any, any, at any place, any juncture in our lives, you look back and you say, man, if I'd have made a different decision, my life would be a whole lot different today. And so there, but by the grace of God, go, I, I dare not look at others and say, how, how dare you? How foolish of you? when it could have been me that made that decision as well. Ours is to serve. Ours is to come alongside with compassion. Serving also gives us a larger view into who God is and how God operates. See, when we see him blessed through our efforts to serve, we see God in a whole new light. We see him for the strength and the power and the grace that he is and has. And then when we use our gifts, our resources, and our abilities to bless others, God is seen and glorified in that act of service. When that happens, doors are opened up to share Christ and the gospel. When my motive is glory to Jesus Christ. Intentionality and motive. Let's go on. To serve our neighbor is our calling. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Keep your, we're going to return back to 1 Peter 4, but Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is a picture of humble servanthood. The whole chapter is. Let me begin at verse 1. Paul writes this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, 
Any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others, start again, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, Paul highlights the tension of living for ourselves and living for others. He dials right in, right in on improper motives, rivalry, conceit, self-interest, all these things that tend to blow us apart, divide us, bring disunity. He says, forget that, but keep your eyes focused on others. Keep your eyes, your attention focused on humble servants, service to others. And then he goes on in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves. And then Paul begins, as he, as he relates in, in the rest of the chapter, this part of the chapter, Jesus Christ is the greatest example of how he laid aside his throne in heaven to come and serve us. That is a whole sermon series in itself right there in Philippians chapter 2. I'd like to go on to another example that he gives of humble service. What does it mean to have this mind among us? In chapter 2, verse 19, Paul gives two living examples of humble service, and I'd like to focus on that for a moment. These are pictures of intention and godly motivation and service. Listen to this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Verse 20. I don't have anyone like him. Okay? Pay attention to that. I don't have anyone like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For everyone else seeks their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I want to be like Timothy. Paul says, I don't have anyone else like him. I don't have anyone else I can send to you that will have such a heartfelt, genuine concern for who you are and what you're walking in today. You see, when God calls us to serve, he, he calls us to, to be like Timothy. And I, I, I want to, I, just, just as a, a backdrop here, I'd like to just share that Paul has a, a a relationship with this church in the city of Philippi that is amazingly deep and profound. He loves this church, and the church loves him, and he can't wait to send Timothy to them to bring back a report of what God is doing in their midst. That's a love that, is, that is, goes beyond anything we can imagine. They were partners with him in the gospel. That's the, he talks about that in this letter. He says to Tim, of Timothy, I don't have anyone like him. Let's keep going. Second example. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, 
Wouldn't you like to be called that? Wouldn't you like to have the Apostle Paul stand in front of a crowd of people and say, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, my, my fellow soldier, fellow worker. Wow, what a high commendation for Epaphroditus. But listen to what else he says. My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Apparently, they sent him to Paul to minister to Paul. They sent a representative from their congregation to go minister to Paul. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. In fact, he was ill. He was near death. But God had mercy on him. Now, listen to this about their relationship. And he not only had mercy on Epaphroditus, but he had mercy on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. That's how much Paul loved Epaphroditus. So I'm all the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Listen to this. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. And what does he say? What? Come on. Honor such men. That's the idea of servanthood. Honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, making his, life to, making his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You sent him here. He poured himself so much into me that he almost died. Epaphroditus. I think that's an amazing picture of servitude. Honor such men. The story is reminiscent of our relationship to our sister church in Pitesh. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we prayed for Yonutz, one of the servants of Adonada Esperanza Villa, our sister church. One of the reasons our heart breaks for his medical condition, he has hepatitis B and D, I believe, and it's, it doesn't have a good ending. One of the reasons that we're so concerned for him, one of the reasons our hearts break for his medical condition and for his family is because he and his family have shown themselves to be true servants of God. For many of you who have been to Pitesh, you've stayed in his home, their family's home. You have gotten to know their family, and your hearts are knit together with Yonutz and Lydia and their boys. We've been blessed by the servanthood of the Sherban family, Yonutz and Lydia. We've received the blessings of their attitude of servitude. I spoke with Pastor Christie this morning. He sent me an urgent prayer request last night. And um, it's on a completely different topic. And I'm going to share it in the Sunday school hour. My heart is just distressed over it this morning. So I hope you'll join us at the Sunday school hour. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters. But, but brothers and sisters, that's right out of Philippians 2. That's a relationship that's knit together. That's a relationship that it doesn't matter if there's 4,000 miles separating us or not. Our hearts are one. Our hearts are breaking. Our hearts are rejoicing together. Whatever God is doing, we rejoice together. We grieve together. We, we sorrow together. Whatever it is, we stand with one another. And that's the idea of servanthood. You see, when we look at the topic of servanthood, 
in Scripture, it's often linked to the body of Christ. It's linked to the church, God's people. And it often refers to the way that we serve one another inside of this fellowship, inside this community. But as we've seen in the relationship of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus to the church in Philippi, this richness of community is attractive to the world. We all, believer and unbeliever alike, long for this kind of community and relationship. So when this attitude of servanthood is foundational among us, when, when, the, when the attitude of, of servanthood runs like a river through our fellowship and our congregation and our community, then it's compelling to the world around us. It is also intended to spill out of our relationships with one another to those who are outside the church family. And Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 9, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. You see, as the church of Christ is built up, and this kind of fellowship and this kind of serving one another is, is, is seen and invisible and evident among us, then we strive to share that blessing with anyone who will listen and anyone who will come and join us in this community. Modeling that servanthood, modeling it to others, will open the door to the gospel. When we talk about evangelism, there's a, there's a thought in there, and I, I don't disagree with it, but there's a thought in there that maybe you shouldn't be so quick to invite people to church. Maybe you should spend time talking about Jesus first. And I, it's a genuine discussion and argument. When we worked with a, an organization in Romania, um, outside of our sister church, a, a nationally known organization, they disciple believers, and they intentionally don't send believers to the new converts to the churches. And it's, it's their policy. They start new churches. Because the church there, the established church there, is often so legalistic that they, they can't send new believers in there. They'll get eaten alive with legalism. I hope nobody ever says that about us. Because I believe that, uh, that this kind of community, this kind of loving one another and serving one another is so attractive that we feel compelled to invite and others see it and are compelled to join us. We go out into the world, but we invite into the richness of community, all because servanthood is the river that flows underneath us. Serving with love, so what do we do with this? Serving with love means that we see our neighbors, our family, our work, and our school colleagues through the lens of Christ. It means compassion. It means empathy. It means seeking ways to serve and to bless. We've talked about the scriptural basis for serving. We've talked about the calling, the motivation, intentionality and motivation. But how do we apply that to our relationships? How do we apply it to our, our networks, our Monday to Friday worlds? Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 4, because Peter gives us some insight into this idea. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 8, and above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. So there's the first instruction. 
Love one another earnestly. What does earnestly mean? Do you ever use earnestly in the sentence? Earnestly. What does it mean? Equally? Truly? Deeply? Sincerely? Passionately? Oh, wait, wait. There's another word. Intentional. Right? Intentional. Love each other with a, with a passion to see Christ raised up in their life. To love one another with absolute sincerity. And he says, for love covers over a multitude of sins. So that means that we should ignore sin. Right? No. Okay. Okay. We don't ignore sin. But you know what? We become much more patient with those who are struggling with it. We choose the hills that we die on. I've, I've played the role of policeman over the years, and it doesn't work so much. There's a time to call it out, and then there's a time to just let the Holy Spirit work. Choose the hills you die on. Let's keep going. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> there, there's a catch. Show hospitality. What does that mean? It means food. It means dinners. It means going out for coffee. It means, it means show hospitality. Whatever it is, it means to receive. But the idea behind hospitality is this. Do it lavishly. Do it with gusto. Do it with enthusiasm. You know, if you've been on a short-term ministry team, if you've gone to Romania, which is, that's my context, so I keep coming back to that. If you go to somebody's house, they don't just serve you a couple of crackers. You get the whole meal deal. And in the early years that we were there, we, we were amazed. Meat was very, very expensive, and yet we'd go to somebody's house and there'd be a whole pork roast on the table because they served lavishly. And they were, they were pretty upset with you if you didn't go home downright uncomfortable from all the food you ate. Like my grandma used to say, what, you don't like my cooking or something? But here's the catch. Peter says you need to love lavishly, be hospitable lavishly, and you have to do it without grumbling. Without grumbling. Okay? You've heard me tell the story about my neighbor who has since passed some years ago, but I used to blow out his driveway and... and um, used to run the snowblower over his driveway in the wintertime, and, and uh, another lady lives next to him. And I, one day I was, twice, I sucked up chicken wire into the snowblower because he left it out. It took me several hours to take my snowblower apart and dig it all out of there. Then the next time it snowed, I went over to, I cut a, a mailman's path. You're welcome, Tom. A mailman's path between his house and the neighbor next to him because she doesn't have a snowblower either, and Oh, I'll do a good service here. She had all kinds of net lights on her bushes. And as I'm running my snowblower past the bushes, bushes start to go like this. And they start to shake and quiver. And I wonder, why, why are they doing that? And pretty soon my snowblower stopped. So this idea of serving others without grumbling is very real to me. In all honesty... In all honesty, I have to wonder if I serve one another, if I serve others, if I do it just because of the rules and I complain the whole time, do I still get credit for it? And I think the answer is no. They didn't complain. They didn't complain. I actually apologized for doing what I did. 
Let's keep going. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Use your gifts to serve. Use your resources, your time, talents, treasures, whatever you have, God has given it to you. God is calling you to steward that back into the lives of others. Give it away. And I, I will submit to you that when you do that, when you exercise that stewardship of all that you have for the sake of others, you will see God in ways that you've never seen him before. And you will see his strength multiplied many times over. And I just read it again, but let me, let me read it. Whoever, whoever, one who serves by the strength that God supplies, one who serves in the strength that God supplies, serve. Do it in the strength of the Lord. Do it empowered by the Spirit, with wisdom moving into a situation, with wisdom serving and blessing others, and with wisdom and, and worship seeing the Lord move. So here's the deal. Those are pretty broad parameters. And that's not an exhaustive list either. I'm sure we could probably keep going and add to Peter's list. But now it's time to fill in the blanks. How can I love somebody this week? How can I surprise someone with kindness? What can I learn from a conversation that will lead me to a way to serve someone else? I look around the room and I see a room of servants and I praise God for each and every one of you because of this. I heard, I heard just in the last week or two of someone who was, without even being asked, was shoveling out someone's driveway that they didn't even know in the last couple of weeks to be a servant. I know several of you are taking meals to new moms in the church, that you've been visiting people in the hospital, that you're inviting neighbors over for coffee, that you're sharing rides for kids to sporting events, that you're inviting people to life group or to Bible study. Some are sharing expertise with a hobby or a passion so that others can excel at that, at that thing, whatever it is. Some are visiting the jails and leading Bible studies in jails. So my question is, how do we turn these intentions and godly motivations into acts of service? Now we're back to the blessed principle. Be in prayer, listen, invite into fellowship, eat. And when these things become part of our rhythm, they become part of our vocabulary, the door will open for us to serve others for the glory of Jesus Christ. So let's be ready, family of God, brothers and sisters, let's be ready to walk through those doors as the Spirit leads. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are, you are the example. And we can't comprehend the depths of your example that you left heaven, you left your glory aside, and you came to walk among us that you might serve us. And you're the one that got on your knees and washed the feet of the disciples in that upper room that night. And Peter spoke for all of us, and he said, what, what are you doing? I should be washing your feet. Such is your example to us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that these, these intentions that you prompt in us would be met by the motive, motive of giving you glory. So would you give us new eyes to see, Lord Jesus, those around us? It's a world full of hurt. It's a world full of difficulties and situations that are beyond our control. 
and the world desperately needs you, would you, Lord Jesus, use us to serve those around us that they might see you? And it involves relationship. May we dive deep into relationships, Lord Jesus, for your sake. May we walk with others the way you walked with us. So, Lord, as we take our offering this morning, we, we, we come with an attitude of service. Service to you. Service also means worship. May our worship be pleasing to you this morning. May you take these resources that belong to you to begin with. May you use them for, the, for your glory, for your kingdom. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.